Hello, uh, this is Monday. This is the Morning Brushback Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. I'm joined here by my compatriot, Bobby Stevens. Robert, how is Chicago? How you doing, man? Doing good. I got a haircut yesterday, so don't tell anybody. Yeah, that's illegal. You're going to be strung up in the town quarter. <laughs> the town square? We still got yeah, one of those? Yeah. Is town quarter a thing? Or, no, you'll be drawn and quartered. That's what I was thinking of for having a haircut. So if you're just tuning tuning in today, uh, our guest Jeff Fry, we're, we're just waiting a call in, so we're going to get started here. And uh, Bobby, we need to talk about the current situation. Is baseball going to come back? So they've been talking about this Arizona stuff. Obviously, everyone's super bored at home. We'd love to see sportsmen playing sports games and sportswomen playing sports games. Um, do you think this Arizona thing's going to happen? No shot. I don't think there's any shot that that this Arizona thing happens. Uh, I can't see just creating a bubble for baseball players. I think it's, I think the further we get into this, the more they're, they're just going to look at the realistic possibility of playing without fans. Uh, would you tweet out a Taiwanese baseball game the other day? Yeah. And I just didn't care about that. Like even the slightest amount. I'm like, that's like me watching Raisin Bran, like just like looking at a dry bowl of Raisin Bran. Well, you got, if you have fruit in that Raisin Bran, it might be worth it. Now, Dan, I, I can't hear you, Dan. You're just, I'll just talk to myself at this point. But I don't think there's any way that, that we play baseball in a confined space in spring training. I don't think it makes sense for hey, man. Can you hear right, me? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to keep going with my thought, though. All right, keep I going. Fine. It, I don't think it makes any sense for, these, for us to do it that way, uh, us. And I have no interest in or financial interest in it. But um, I think empty, it makes more sense to just play in empty stadiums in the, you know, boost a little bit of the local economy, especially if you're talking like a, like Chicago is Wrigley, Wrigleyville around Wrigley field. I mean, that, that'll be packed even if those people can't go to the games. So I would just play them in their normal cities and, and let the guys have the, most of these guys have homes there. It's not going to be as big of a logistical nightmare. Well, I agree. And I also just don't, I, I read an article by Doug Glanville last night, which I thought was, it was a really well-written article. He just talked about the importance of fans and how they impacted his, his life and um, how they were there to pick him up when he had a tough time when his, his father was, uh, was sick in the hospital and dying, actually. And um, I just can't imagine the lackluster, just how much the game would change from an emotional standpoint as a ball player. Like, you're out there at the highest level. Every pitch counts. Every bat counts. And there's not a single person in the stands. Like, you – you drive a ball into the gap, you plate two, like you put your team up a run in the eighth, and there's like nothing, just dead cemetery silence. It would be fun, right? Like, how does that work? That's crazy. Hit a big, hit a big home run and get absolutely nothing absolutely from the crowd. Nothing. Like literally like you're back playing, not even T-ball, because like a lot of parents come out. It'd be like some other obscure, like middle range, like bad high school baseball in the middle of like you travel to some other bumbleton high school and there's just like no one there yeah we've all played in front of no crowds so there's, i don't think there's any i don't think it's gonna be new for anybody in the big leagues to play in front of nobody it might uh might kill some of that adrenaline rush but if the checks are still cashing i don't think anybody's gonna care all that much i don't know man i think it's gonna be tough i think that would be hard just mentally and, and physically on players i feel like it'd be hard to get your 
get yourself going in the same way. Yeah, maybe. But I think some of these guys, especially the the guys that are younger, that haven't, they don't have 10 years in the big leagues and don't have the that many opening days and that many uh, – they don't have money sitting in the bank like some of these other guys in a, in a set career. Those guys, I think, will they'll be playing just as hard. I think it'll be just as exciting uh, for most of the players. And if they're, and if it's not, then I'm, you know, I'm available to, to fill in at any, at any point to play a few of these games. Yeah. You can be a scab. That's fine. Nobody, I'm not, who's going to, who's going to call me out on it. If I end up getting a few scab games over at Comiskey on the South side. It's yeah. We'll announce. Let's just go with that from here on out. This is the morning brushback with Dan Blewett and Bobby the Scab. <laughs> but well, I think I think it sums you up. You're just a malort drinking substitute major league playing. You're just like a pirate. You're like a modern day pirate. I should. I mean, I you should be rebuttal. first on that rebuttal. I could. I could handle the heat. Gabs can't scab. be. Gabs can't be mayor. Let's just be honest. How many? Who's the Who's the most famous guy from '94 that crossed uh, for the in the MLB when they what, had their? What did you just say? Oh, who, who's the most famous guy that crossed the picket line uh, in '94? Would anyone know that answer in the world? Somebody knows that answer. I know no that answer. answer to that question. I know that question. Um, I'm trying desperately right now to connect my AirPods because I forgot to do that and it's just like not working. Speaking of which. I got a new AirPod the other day, Bobby. I got a new left one because my left one was, I think the speaker was blown. And I got one that literally the, ne- the next afternoon they shipped it out. So good job, Apple. Apple for the win here at uh, coronavirus here. lockdown. Yeah, just, just pump the radiation right into the side of your brain. That's what I'm going for. Have you heard of these bone conductive uh, headphones? Have you heard of these before? No, but it sounds dangerous. So bone conductive headphones, they sit this little thing right on the front of your earlobes or just the front of your ear. And it actually like plays in the world, not in your ear. So nothing goes in your ear, but it sits right in front. And then this the thing goes wraps behind your ear and it like vibrates against your like bones that are in your ears back there. Like obviously you're, you're, you, you, we hear sounds and whatnot by like the, what is it? The malleus, the incus and the stapes. Those are the three bones, I think. You're middle school. You're, you're way, you're way past my, right yeah. Um, but anyway, so these bone conductive things, cause there's a new hearing aid technology that my dad didn't want to get. Um, that they put like a screw into your brain and like a little wire, then it like kind of like taps directly into the, and I do not know much about this technology, but it taps kind of directly into your, that like bone conductive system. And apparently it's a real thing. Um, but anyway, so these, Bone conductive headphones are, are for like, I don't know. I think they're more for like running, but you can basically do, you have more situational awareness because it's not in your ear plugging your ear hole. It's just like out there and just being like your own little personal speaker. It's essentially we've progressed from having the boom box where you're like running around um, <laughs> ghetto with your ghetto blaster, right? Um, it's essentially that, but it's in a tiny like sensible form. But it's reviews are very- radiation nice. into your brain. Like I'm even these that I'm wearing right now with the with the cord. Bobby, as we wait for our guest, this is like a perfect time for you to spout some just nonsensical, backed by just unfact checked conspiracy theory stuff. This is like your time to shine. I think you need to just run with it. Give us one of your nonsense 
conspiracy theory? <sighs> there's too many. Like, there's so many. The, I, the, the, right, my most oh, recent like, one uh, yeah, reading is, the, is that Lady Gaga is like a Satanist. And she's like, also that Lady Gaga is also Amy Winehouse. Like they're one and the same person, just controlled by uh, the Illuminati. <laughs> and you have, um, what's your level of belief in this theory right here? Uh, I don't know. Her, if you watch any of her music videos, she's getting, she's, she has a lot of imagery that's like disturbing. And now she's, she's, she's connected to this uh, Marina Abramovich. If you look this woman up, this woman's like, a, I think she's Serbian and she's, she's like the queen of these messed up, she makes, crazy art like depicting the devil and you know killing kids and all kinds of stuff like that it's uh i mean i'm getting a little deep this i'm getting a little deep for a baseball well, podcast this, here, this isn't deep this is just well i think people need to get to know who they're listening to like i think people need to get off the ship if they realize that wow this is this is the guy that i've been listening to all this time this this, this bobby stevens guy is actually extremely unstable th- oh, and maybe i shouldn't be here unstable um, this i am i'm a, a just a beacon of stability. Bobby, did Noah's Ark happen? I don't. Get were there it. aliens on? Were there, were there aliens on the Ark? There's aliens. There's aliens. Hundred percent. You might be an alien for all I know. <laughs> there's alien. There's if there's absolutely aliens. The odds that are there are no aliens in on Earth or in this. What world. are the odds? Let me know. What are the odds? Oh, it's a, it's over fifty percent that there's aliens. Over fifty percent. And where do you get these numbers? It's e- it's this, easily this Alex Jones I think it's, is he providing these numbers. Alex Jones is a little he's I like Alex. What are the, like what's the Vegas lines? His I listened to his one of his live streaming shows just to like humor you and be in the conspiracy theory for a minute. It was just rambling. Just it was it was psychotic. You can't jump into Alex Jones. That's like it's like your first time skiing, jumping on the, like, on Everest, and it was and like twelve a.m. and he down. was just like ranting angry i'm like what what is in this man's blood right now like i'd love he's to know what cocktail of things alien his alien blood. but he's an alien alien blood it was like, he speaks it was on bizarre. it because he is one just he's, just rambling so like All the lady the, gaga stuff is that like if you look up mk ultra mk ultra is like a mind control you know they they brainwash these people that from a young age and they kind of groom them to be whatever they need them to be uh in her case, obviously a performer and she gives out these, her songs mirror like some message and her, her imagery and her music videos images or those images mirror a lot. I don't of think I could care. I don't, I don't think I could care about this story any, any less than I you do at this moment. To, I don't think it's possible. What, I'm trying to like, I'm asking myself, me, like, could I care give, about this story any less than I do at this give time? Me some, the, the give me some, give me some, Give me a topic. I got. I got you. There's aliens. There's 100 percent aliens. In my mind, oh wait, it, it just jumped from 50 percent to 100 percent. Well, 50 percent for minutes. you normies, but 100 percent for us in the in the in the. I'm, I'm walking around. Look at some Dennis Rodman. Are you kidding me? This is not a real person. This is a, <laughs> Dennis Rodman is. Are you? That kidding? is a great. That is a great soundboy. That's not an that. alien. Thank you for that. That's not, I mean, if there was ever an that? alien person, it was for sure Dennis Rodman. Like, I'll give you that. Like, that's Ozzy Osbourne. Like, are these pe- These are not people. The Queen, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> How does she get lumped in there? She's she's like the queen. She's the head of this whole thing, she's reptilian thing. She's a, the queen. She's evil. Queen Elizabeth is evil. 
Well, welcome back, everyone. If you're just tuning in to the morning brushback, uh, our guest Jeff Fry is hopefully going to call in soon. We um, aren't really sure the status, but we're rambling along, and literally, we're rambling along. I mean, we are going into the depths of Bobby's mind, which is clouded by like tumbleweeds and and cobwebs and like I lemurs like leaping from branch to branch. I can't. That's this is why we can't talk. That's, all I, this. that's we can't. That's a, we can't have these some of these conversations. I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, would you say it's an accurate representation of your mind? A, a tree, a scraggly, crooked branch tree with lemurs. Your ideas are lemurs leaping from one to the next. No, is that more, fair? More accurate is like a is like a nineteen. 19- it's like a 1950s western movie and I'm the I'm like the I'm the sheriff and there's just a bunch of weird shit happening around me. That's that would be an accurate, you know, description. But I spend most of the time in the saloon. So let's let's shift back to foreign baseball. Um the, so obviously like the level of play in like the the Chinese professional baseball league is very high. Um there was a a brush back, you know, a guy got hit by a pitch the other day and bench is cleared. That was the clip that I, I put on my YouTube or my Twitter. Um, but it's just, it's so weird that we're a without sports in general. I mean, and I think the one thing that's really holding this thing up and I, I was reading up a bunch about it recently is, is will the players accept lower salaries if there's no fans in the stands? Cause that seems to be part of the deal to make it financially viable that, hey, 40% of, they said, roughly 40% of a team's revenue comes from ticket sales. So without all that, how can you make $26 million a year, you know, $100,000 a pitch if you're, you know, one of these premier starting pitchers? And I guess the question is that it's untenable and that you probably can't. So I just don't know if they're going to, and they said, you know, players are just like not going to want to accept less than this. And the other question is, say they do this thing in Arizona and they have this little biodome and, are they going to be able to play every day? Are there enough ballparks? Are, is, I mean, are they going to be able to televise every game every day? Or if not, is it going to be like six games a day? Are they going to be broadcasting at noon on a, on a Wednesday? Is it going to be like – Because like no one's going to watch the – Yeah, no one's going to watch the Orioles play the Marlins if that's like the game of the day and it's nationally <laughs> televised. Like no one's going to watch that. You, you watch say the Orioles. that. You say that, yet I'm over here throwing $20 on the, on the Taiwanese third place – uh, baseball team to to cover to cover the one and a half run line. Um, people will watch at this juncture. People are going to watch. You put anything on, uh, you, you know. We get a we get a bocce ball. I tried to watch Orioles baseball my whole childhood. My dad loved watching the Orioles. I mean, we're from Baltimore. The most boring, just like mind-numbingly boring broadcast of all all time. I mean, watching Masson. I can't remember the broadcasters names i think one of them name was gary something just mind-numbing like jim palmer right and i and jim palmer is great like i wanted to hear his insights but it was just the most god-awful boring broadcast everyone else was broadcasting in 1080p and they were still in 720 i'm like this is literally the worst the orioles don't win baseball they don't they don't win baseball games you're boring me to sleep and i have to watch 720p instead of 1080p what like what are we doing here? You're so you're a, it's like you're web, a camera, webcam quality. You're a camera I mean, snob. Before I was ever a camera snob, I was I was having these snobbish feelings. I mean, it was just it was just no, the reality. You, you, you know can watch what, uh, any other game except for Orioles broadcast. <laughs> if, if if the Orioles are playing the Nationals, for example, 
I would turn on the Nationals broadcast because it was like way higher def and it wasn't like I was listening to a librarian announce the baseball game. It was just, I mean, it was I, just I'm a spoiled, I'm spoiled in Chicago because you, you went through you went through the era of Harry Carey, Steve Stone, and then on the other side of town, you have Hawk Harrelson, who's a national treasure. I think the White Sox do a great job. I mean, yeah, people... the White Sox, yeah. Now, Jason, it's Jason Benetti, who's really good, and Steve Stone, both really good. Um, yeah, Jason Benetti is, is also a national treasure. He was the MC, so I spoke at Sabre Seminar the last three years, and Jason, they always have like a, a, an MC yeah. that keeps the show going, and he was the MC, I think, two years ago. And dude's just, he's a treasure. Like you said, he's a treasure. He's super funny, like just just wit for days. I mean, he made that show awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah, but and nobody then, um, beats. You just Google Hawk Harrelson highlights, and it's just, it's entertainment for days. He's, I feel like people he's hate like, on him, though, don't they? And I don't really no, know. I never you know, know it's not why. hating on him. It's just that it's like you're watching, it's like you're watching the game with your dad, and. Your dad is like a diehard. He's like he's just a diehard fan of. Oh, of the he White roots Sox. for the White Sox more. Than, yeah, you know, like, and he's, so he's like not he's, as impartial. And he wants and he like wants to swear, but he's he's using like dad swear <laughs> words like dag dag gummit and stuff like that. He's Con Sarnet dag nebit. He's a treasure. But back to your point, there. It doesn't matter who plays at this point. If if baseball is the only game in town, like people are gonna watch it, and people are gonna gamble on it, and. If the players, you know, don't want to accept a lower salary, that's, you know, everybody's making sacrifices here. The, you know, the the everyone wants the billionaire owners to make all the sacrifices. Well, at some point, they can't just give all of their money away. Like there needs to be some kind of concession. I mean, if you're going to play sixty percent of the games and you have to take sixty percent of your salary, then you know, to get is sixty percent is better than zero percent. Uh, in my eyes, you, you take it. I think the real question is... Well, I think, it's, I think 60% is better than 0% in everyone's eyes. Well, I love it's your a, math. It's a, I love your math. You. But my, math is, my math is on par. But I think the, the, real, the real question is going to be the service time. You know, are well, you going to figure that out? So the, there's, those are two things that are not really negotiable anymore. They, so the major league players waive their right to do what? What was it? I think they waive their right... Oh, I got I to gotta look this. I knew this answer earlier. But they, in exchange for getting a year of service time equivalent to last year, so everyone doesn't get – if the season isn't played, what happens is everyone will get the same amount of service time they got last year. So if you played exactly 50% of the season last year, you'll get 50% service time this year. That's awesome. So That's this amazing. Is, well, it's good for some players but not others. So if you're an, a rookie and you were projected to like have a bigger role this year, like the – the Dodgers phenom Gavin Lux was one of these guys. Like he got like what, like a month of big league time last year. He was yeah. projected to probably play a lot, if not the whole season this summer. Right? He's a loser in this because he's just not going to get the the service time that he would have for sure accrued. You know, ex- you know, without injury. Um, so they negotiated that, and with that, the players uh, waived their right to. I think it was to sue about. Sal, uh, something with salaries, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up while you ramble off another conspiracy theory. Bobby, are there aliens in? Um, let's not go with aliens. What about dairy products are killing us, Bobby? I'm sure you have a, consp- a dairy dairy related conspiracy. Yeah, I don't eat dairy. Um, I don't know if it's not conspiracy. It's just I don't understand the the feeding the feeding uh, milk to a like <laughs> to a like. Why would you drink? another animal's milk you're not a cow 
Like I have, uh, I have animals my, and humans my, have been doing that for a long, like a super long time, actually. So that doesn't make it pretty nutrient dense uh, food source. Is it though? Because it's, it's designed oh, it for sure is. That's why literally why babies drink it because it's designed to bring a baby calf into, to turn that calf into a 600 pound cow. Yeah. That is your, not, your point is that is point. not, that is and not point. what we should be putting in our bodies. If you're, if you're a starving person in a tribe and you're like living in the jungle and you're hungry, you absolutely should drink as much milk as you could find. If you have a stream of milk, you should swim in the stream and just drink it until the stream runs dry. It's calories. Like what else, what else do you want to say about it? So is, so is dirt, but I'm not, I mean, you can go, you can go look to the broccoli forest and like eat as much broccoli as you want. You'll get one twentieth the calories as milk. I mean, colostrum Colostrum is the special type of milk that mothers produce when like they've just had a calf or you've just had a child and colostrum is like this crazy thing like full of like growth hormones and um, all these different like types of proteins. It's like this crazy this stuff muscle milk. We've all taken muscle milk right muscle milk muscle milk has dried bovine colostrum in it because of the some of these like hormonal properties and it's not illegal but um, colostrum is just like a very nutrient dense thing that you give to newborns essentially. Sure. But so, so it makes sense for adult men who don't want to be obese to not drink milk. That makes a lot of sense. However, the evolutionary benefit is not really, I don't think up for discussion. Uh, there's just too, there's too many, there's too many hormones for, uh, in milk that aren't, aren't human hormones. I mean, are I, the aliens drink... placing these hormones in the milk? Bobby, they're please the, comment. They're probably the farmers, honestly. Who else, who else other than an alien can sit in those? Are the farmers places? aliens? 16 hours a day in a field with just yourself and a bunch of cows? Yeah, totally an alien. <laughs> alien or serial killer? That's a little far-fetched. I know a lot of farmers. I lived in the Midwest. You still live in the Midwest. Farmers are, without a doubt, much more genuine than us East Coasters are. And yeah, they're great. They're farmers nice are great. Farmers are great human beings. Yeah. Great I'm going to go on record saying crazy. that farmers are not aliens. They're great, hardworking humans. They supply our food chain. Um, very underappreciated. We just walk, yes. walk to the grocery store because of the efforts of our American farmers. But would you, uh, let, me a, just, but would let me you just go ahead that? and finish the whitewashing of your asinine statement. About would, you do, would you be a farmer? No, but I wouldn't be a lot of things. It doesn't make it a, a meritless job. Or that they're alien people or killers. Well, I uh, yeah, you've never. I've got Jeff. I have Jeff text me right now. We had the time mixed up. He thought nine his time. Yeah, and we thought maybe that'd be the case. But fortunately, we've had just a rousing discussion about lots of nonsensical topics. No worries. So he's joining. He's joining us in a in in five minutes. He said, "Perfect." So our, our guest, Jeff Fry, today, former big leaguer, uh, we're excited to get going with him in a little bit. Um, he's been very active on Twitter, very outspoken about some of what I think modern hitting coaches are talking about. So that's kind of our core discussion today. So if you're, you're tuning in uh, to hear him speak, where I think we're all excited to kind of mix it up and see what his motivations are and, and how this is all going to kind of shake out in the future, because this is, this is a very real divide not just on Twitter, but in baseball in general. I mean, there's a lot of players who have experience who know that younger players need it. And um, there's a lot of younger coaches sometimes who dismiss that experience. And it can cause friction. Yeah. I mean, there's 
the whole the whole platform of Twitter leaves a lot of things open for you know for interpretation, especially with you know as a parent and you're trying to search out the best information for your child or it's not just baseball it's everything there's there's politics that you have to you know sift through a lot of stuff there's I'm sure there's other sports that have uh, online coaches similar to baseball baseball just seems to be the loudest because we're both in it you know but the the social media aspect it's it's everybody trying to sift through information to to not only find what works for them but find what's what's actually right quote unquote right i lo- i loved your 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 dialogue right there that was it was powerful dan people <laughs> look i you know, i know you don't want to i know you won't admit it on air but people it was powerful people are they they get in here because of the crazy things i may say day to day I mean, I think this has been a valuable Monday morning conversation. If anything, I hope it's been not boring for all of you. Um, we're going to shift more into baseball. But what, what is Monday morning if not talk about uh, Chinese baseball, aliens, milk, the mental state of farmers, um, lady, whether Lady Gaga is a construct or whatever. Um, that's, <laughs> I mean, those are, that's a fact. It's been a, well, it's been a well-rounded morning. And we, you know, we don't want to be too niche. Um, you know, so I think I think this has been phenomenal. Too niche. I'm I'm going to pour concrete as soon as we get off here today. This is like a I got my full range of toolbox to conspiracies. What do you, what's in, what's in the concrete uh, toolbox, Bobby? I just got you know float and a trowel, and we've got a wheel. I got a wheelbarrow on the back of my back of my Jeep that's sticking out the back. Hmm. 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 Helping, well, helping a friend po- pour some some post holes for his new pergola. Fancy per, terms. Per, say pergola post holes five times fast. Pergola post holes. Pergola post holes. Pergola post holes. No, just stop. <laughs> um, so that was one of your high school jobs, right? High school playing after playing. It's always something I've done. Uh, it's an interesting skill to have, I guess. It's a you know, it's definitely keeps you in shape. If you want to, you want to stay in shape without actually hitting the weight room, go, go wheel some, you know, a couple wheelbarrows of concrete back and forth down the block. You'll, uh, you'll be sore in places you didn't know you had. Yeah, that's fair. Hey, so we, we got a comment, uh, clarifying a little bit here on YouTube. So Adam said on May 1st, Manfred can, well, he says, will he can suspend uniform employee contracts. So teams can technically start furloughing coaches and scouts, et cetera. So yeah. Interesting. Um, fortunately I, at the major league level, we don't really need any, we don't really need coaches. They just do their thing. I mean, let's be honest with each other. You need hand, you need a, uh, you need handlers. You need guys that, that set the schedule, the itinerary for the day. We need that 87 year old coach in the bullpen nodding his head as, as uh, Max Scherzer throws just another filthy pregame. Three, <laughs> I don't know why you, I don't know man, why you hate we, we need him. So we much. need him. Well, I mean, that's kind of, you know, part of the image of some of these older coaches that it's like, all right, old, old fella. Well, I'll tell you my what, ball, that's, I'll throw my pen and then I'll see you later. That's something I, I want to ask Jeff is about some of these, these guys with all that experience. Cause I remember, the guy that I that I took the most from hitting when I my time with the Orioles was actually a guy by the name of Milt May, um, and Milt May. If your name's uh, Milt, you know you're old. If your name is Milt, you're smart. 
you I don't care what you're talking about. You are an intelligent human being, but he, at the time, Milt may had to be in his eighties. If not, if, if youngest seventies and okay. this guy, and he would have these manila folders with still frame shots. So probably ahead of his time, realistically, like still frame shots, you know, of a progression of mantle maze, uh, Ted Williams. And he would show these like still frames and he would talk to us about hitting. And he's just a guy you want to sit next to, uh, and just listen to him talk. Like I, I, I got what I consider my two strike approach. A lot of, uh, what he, what he would talk about is control the fastball. He has, he had his own bat, like his game bat. He would just walk around with, and this thing had to weigh, uh, it was like a 35 inch, 37 ounce bat. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, how has your your back instruction gone? Have you made yourself a bat yet? No, I haven't. It's, you can't get a you can't find a lay anywhere is, in Chicago. Is, in these is it because you don't have any carpentry skills whatsoever, or I, is there something else just, holding you up? We just went over about. I'm going to pour concrete later. Maybe pour yourself a concrete bat today. That would be too heavy, Dan. I don't know. That's ridiculous. Well, Jeff's it's probably going. I mean, you know. <laughs> Jeff just texted me. He's calling. He's calling it right now. So cool. We'll have, um, we'll have him here, but I have yeah, also for not just Jeff coming on, but future guests. I've also tried to line up a couple of interesting futures guests, future guests that branch off of baseball. Um, well, yeah. So let me, let me ramble off before you do that. Some of the guys we do have confirmed. So this week, Wednesday we have, it won't be live, but we'll post it at 9am. We have uh, Zach Clark, which is a mutual acquaintance of ours, former big leaguer, current race scout. So pretty good conversation. We had them we had there with Zach. I mean, he's got a really interesting, really interesting story made to the big leagues then convert into a knuckleballer. Um, really savvy baseball dude. And then, uh, Friday we have, uh, pro scout, Chris Carmanucci. He's a, a diamondback scout. He was, um, prominent independent league scout. I mean, still is, but he was floating around the Atlantic league scouting myself and, and other guys like that. So, um, he's one of the guys who leaves no stone unturned, which is something that I found really impressive about him. And then next week, um, we've added one guest, which is Matt Swope, who is the associate head coach at the University of Maryland. Um, also a really savvy hitting guy. And he is one who's very much in, uh, in both worlds of like, you know, played professionally, knows hitting, but also uses a lot of the, the technology and some of these quirky drills that um, kind of get Jeff's scorn. But he seems to be pretty balanced and has a, a good deal of why he's doing a lot of the unique things he does. So that'll be a good conversation next Wednesday. Um, yeah, Matt's we good. also have Bill Murphy who played in the, uh, in the big leagues and in Japan. So we're gonna talk about a lot of that craziness because J- Japanese baseball is, is really far out there. Um, and then who are you looking at Robert? I've got a professional gamer named Nick sketch trying to get him on. He's a, like an online gamer and e-gamer. Um, we've got, the first woman in uh, coach. Uh, I won't say her name because I haven't, she hasn't responded back to me yet. And I also reached out to Jose Canseco on a whim just to see if we can get Jose on because I want to talk personally. I want to talk to Jose Canseco. Yeah. You know, I hit him with a pitch, right? You hit Jose Canseco with a fastball. Yeah. And I batted against him when he was a knuckleballer. Yeah. So why aren't you reaching out to Jose Canseco? 
Because I just didn't think of it. I mean, hey, Jose, don't remember, don't know if you remember me. I'm a plebeian, and uh, I think he would remember. At this one time, I grounded out twice against you, and you threw knuckleballs, and I, I hit you with a fastball. Jose Canseco would remember. He, you're saying he's like some sort of elephant creature with a unlimited memory for average average sized white dudes that pitched in a uninspired league. I think that's exactly. zero chance. You're zero chance he ever knew who I was or would remember who I was. It's actually I mean, his Twitter he's profile. Been, he's been hit by a lot of a lot of pitches, I'm sure. But no, he played in uh, the North North Atlantic North American League. My second season, he was this player coach of the Yuma Scorpions. I was on the um, Lake County Fielders, and uh, that's our right, second to last game. Yeah, our second to last. Well, I so I pitched against him a bunch of times, and he was terrifying i mean he was like 45 years old and still just in great shape ginormous and looming over the plate he would scratch out the inner line of the batter's box he would do like no just like no like no shame at all all right jeff's calling in he would just scratch out the batter's box and then put his right foot on the point of the plate and then uh like just literally looming over the plate as much as possible so i submitted jeff we'll see if he's played with with with, uh, jose canseco so like you knew he was gonna hit by pitch Morning, Jeff. Let's see if he can get his uh, his audio going. But I mean, so Jose knew what he was doing. He just wanted to hook an outside corner fastball, which essentially was the middle of the plate to him, and just like put it in the bleachers, which he easily had the power to do. Yeah, he had some decent power. Yeah, I mean, like he whipped his bat through the zone like it was a wiffle ball bat. It was it was literally terrifying. So I'm like, well, if he hits one back at me, I'm just going to die. So let's just kind of make peace with my life before I pitch here but you know if you're smart you end up just pitching exclusively inside to him because if you threw it over the plate at all he was going to get the barrel to it I mean that's what that was what his that was that was his, his mo because he knew no one wants to throw inside to me I'm terrifying so if I just take away the entire outside corner of the plate by looming over it what's up Jeff can you hear us it's a no response yet so I think he's still working on his audio um but hey, Jeff. Hey, what's up, fellas? How you doing? Hey, sorry about the miscommunication. The Eastern Time. You're on Central Time, right out there in Texas. Yeah, man. I'll get up for eight o'clock. Sorry. <laughs> no, we. Yeah, we. We got to make sacrifices with for to appease Dan. Jeff, we were just talking about Jose Canseco. Did you? Uh, did you? You would have played with him a good amount or against him, right? Yeah. No, I played against him with. Uh, Played against the man with him. I played with him with uh, the Rangers and the Red Sox. How would you rank his bat speed in a video game? If you were to, <laughs> if you were to make his like levels, is he like a ninety-nine bat speed guy? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. No doubt. I, I I pitched against him an in independent ball, and he was like forty-six or forty-seven or something, and he's still just like from the moment he decided to swing, like the bat was just gone through the zone before he could. It just like it was different than every other person I'd ever faced. It was like, yeah. how how did that back it through that zone that fast? I don't know. He was a great dude, man. He was one of my favorite teammates I ever had. I can tell you that. Well, and and my short story with him is that he, uh, my team financially collapsed in the middle of a season. I was on this independent team called the Lake County Fielders, and our manager was quit. Tim Johnson quit before the game. So we decided, like, we're not going to play. We're not getting paid. Like, our paychecks were bouncing. And so we said, all right, pitchers are going to hit and play the field, and position players are going to pitch. And when Jose heard about that, 
he's like, all right, guys, I'm with you. We'll do it too. And so Jose was a starting pitcher. He threw knuckleballs. I got three at bats against Jose and he had a good knuckleball. It was terrifying. Um, and I hit him with a pitch as a separate at bat in a different game, but that's how he um, told his, uh, his, uh, UCL ligament in his arm pitching in a game in Texas. Really? What year was that? Any uh, idea? it's like 95, I think 95 or 96. And that was a big league game. Yes. Man. He always wanted to be like the extra pitcher, you know, or the that's the, Bobby, the, like that's... Uh, the guy who came in when the game was out of hand, and they let him do it, and he tore his UCL on his elbow. Yikes! So we hit Jose Canseco, and I have a lot more in common than I thought because that was me. I would be warming up in the bullpen even if the coach didn't ask me to. <laughs> uh, so everyone who's listening, uh, this is Jeff Fry, our guest for today. Jeff, thanks for being here. Um, if you're not familiar with Jeff, uh, longtime major leaguer, nine years in the big leagues, career 290 hitter, um, really impressive MLB career. And we wanted to have him on today because there's a lot of stuff changing in baseball. And so we want to kind of hear from him, um, some of his hitting philosophies and, and talk about a little bit of the Twitter stuff as well. So stick with us. We'll, we'll kind of get to that as we go. But I, I know me and Bobby personally, because we value a lot of the stuff, the same things, and we're on both sides of this whole new school versus old school kind of debate. But um, we want to hear a little bit about some of the stuff that you as a, as a long-term big leaguer found helped you be successful because Jeff, would you agree that most minor leaguers have the physical tools to, to be successful big leaguers? Yes, I would. Yes, I and would. so what, what would you, uh, what would you say um, separates those guys? Like why do some of them who throw 99 in the minor leagues or who have, you know, 75, 80 power in, in the minor leagues. Why do some of those guys not pan out? It's all in the head, man. Mentally, some guys can't handle it. And that's, uh, I don't know why. And that it's kind of hard to figure out why some guys can, and some guys can't. But I played with a lot of guys in, in the minor leagues that were, I mean, coming up to, you know, A ball and double A that just look like freaks. And you're going, oh, that dude. He's a big leaguer. That dude's a big leaguer. And then for whatever reason, man, when they get to the big leagues and they hit 050 for a month, you're like, what happened to that guy? You know, it's kind of hard to figure out. And it's just, you have to be mentally tough. You have to uh, beyond your skill level. You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to adjust on the spur of the moment. And, um, I mean, you got you to gotta be able to take people telling you how terrible you are because they're going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so that's, that's something I want to touch on too is what, how would you personally, I mean, I know as a minor leaguer, you know, you struggle and it's not necessarily media telling you you're terrible, but if you, you struggle in the minor leagues and you're not a prospect guy, you get, put in the, you get put in the bench or, you know, you get a day off, essentially you get two days off. You know, what would you do to stay right? You know, what was your routine like? You know, how, how did you, how did you personally separate yourself uh, from a mental standpoint from a lot of these guys that you looked at that maybe had either more tools or you looked at them and they were, you know, surefire big leaguers? I was always pretty tough, uh, mentally. Uh, I, I kind of uh, had like a pretty rough childhood, you know, I mean, uh, broken home, divorced parents, lived with my grandparents. We didn't have a car. Um, basically had to walk everywhere we went and, um, you know, just a lot of, uh, not like my kids have it today. I'll put it that way. You know, it's a lot, mm -hmm. a lot tougher yeah. and 
for whatever reason, I just, uh, I always had that, uh, mental edge. I felt, you know, I was never really afraid and speak my mind kind of like I'm doing on Twitter. But, mm -hmm. uh, um, but my talent level wasn't in honestly, wasn't equivalent to a lot of the guys I played with, but they just couldn't hack it. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you've heard of the five o'clock hitter, right? Mm -hmm. Five o'clock, man, those guys step in BP and they're freaking launching home runs and all that. And then comes seven o'clock, they're swinging and missing, you know, they're just, uh, can't make the adjustments. And for whatever reason, I was always a good hitter growing up playing wiffle ball my whole life. In high school, I was a good hitter. In college, I was a good hitter. In minor leagues, I was a good hitter. In big leagues, I was a good hitter. Just always had good hand-eye coordination and hitting. I'm not going to say it was easy for me, but I was always able to hit. So I, I heard I, I watched one of your anecdotes. I think it was from Fox Sportsnet. But um, you talked about how you were in Double A and you were struggling, and then playing in a wiffle ball game at the hotel, which I think all of us have probably done at some point, um, especially in college. Like I know we would play stickball all the time you started imitating Juan Gonzalez with your leg kick and then you started kind of tinkering with that in the game. So can you speak on how that adjustment was made and what you think that did for you? Because little stuff like that can be so like, how did this make such a big difference? But it seemed like it really did for you. It was, I mean, honestly, it was a turning point in my career. I mean, I was in double A batting 220 after two months, you know, as a 30th round draft pick. Um, you know, I, I was probably a couple of weeks away from getting released. And uh, me and Rick Rona, I don't know if you guys heard, you might be, I don't know if you guys have heard of Rick Rona. He caught in the big leagues for four years, I think, for the Cubs. And uh, we're in a hotel in Wichita, and I'm imitating Ruben Sierra and Juan Gonzalez, who were the stars of the Rangers at the time, with a big leg kick. And Rona goes, dude, why don't you do that in the game? Because I was just hitting lasers in the in the – you know, in the hotel lobby or hotel uh, atrium area. I said, all right, what the heck do I have to lose? You know, so I went right into the game. You know, normally, normally a game, Miley game, whatever, you have BP at four, four to five, whatever, then infield and stuff. But it was one of those rainy days where we just tarp is on the field, no BP. Mm -hmm. I literally went in the game without any batting practice, hitting – you know, with a kind of like a wide open, not, not wide open, but a spread out stance with my hands in front of me, just standing straight up and with this, raising my leg a foot off the ground with no practice. <laughs> you know, it went one for four, but hit a home run foul. And that was the key. <laughs> hit a home run foul, which I wasn't hitting. I had no power, in, you know, in double. I was 5'9", 160 pounds. I wasn't a power hitter. And yeah. so I juiced one enough to hit it out of the park foul. And I was like, wait a minute. So I kept doing it the rest of the year and went from hitting 230 to hitting 300 and led our team in double A in nine or 10 offensive categories. That was, was that the, the year right before you, you, uh, you debuted in 92? Was that a, was that 1991? Yes. Yes. And then I went, I went, well, I'm, I didn't make the double A all-star game. But there was a, an injury, so they called me to go to the AA All-Star game. Uh, and I went to the All-Star game and went one MVP, four for five. 
went four for five with a triple or something. Then I went to Venezuela that winter. Most uh, popular player in Venezuela, hit 300, made the all-star team. Next year, hit 300 and triple lay in three months and went to the big leagues with the huge lake kick. And so what do you, what do you attribute the what – the, what did the lake kick do to you or what it do for you? I mean, is it just a timing mechanism to just correct something that was a little bit off? No, it gave me more power. It gave me more – I could hit the ball harder, more leverage. So a lot of the ball – I could always hit, make contact before this, but a lot of the balls that I was hitting in A ball that were base hits were now being caught. They weren't getting through the infield. They weren't getting into the gaps. And now I could juice a ball because um, I was hitting against, you know, stiff front leg. And I just – it was incredible how much more leverage it gave me. And, and – confidence you know confidence is the most important so what were your hitting coaches saying with that at the time or like what were your hitting coaches doing for you at the time nothing i mean you were struggling before that so nothing hey you're all right stay in there man keep swinging it you'll be all right you know what i mean yeah i mean there wasn't uh i mean that year actually i think in double a was the first year we actually had like we had three. We only had three coaches. We had the manager, a pitching coach, and one other coach. And he wasn't like necessarily a hit designated hitting coach like they have now. You know, right? Yeah. The coach. He was coaching first base. He happened to be a former uh, position player, so he was, in essence, our hitting coach. If he was a pitcher, you know, a former pitcher, he would have been in essence our second pitching coach. It wasn't yeah. like we had designated three three uh, specific jobs, you know. Yeah. So, so who, when I was when I was in the minor leagues, we always had that designated hitting coach, pitching coach, and then your manager was, for the most part, usually a position player, but not all the time. Um, but I can never really remember talking any mechanics or you know, you always hear the word, you always hear the phrase, make an adjustment, make an adjustment. But they don't really, you know, that's that was always on the player. You know, you said you, you went to a leg kick, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, lowering my hand position, doing something, you know, trying to, trying to get a better feel in the box, just a more comfortable, a confidence feel, like you said, because confidence in my, in my opinion, just trumps everything when you're hitting, you know, you feel good at the plate, you get pulled the bat by the barrel and you're still gonna, you're still gonna square one up. Uh, but I can never remember talking in the cage or if we're doing flips mechanics, it was always an approach and it was always a, uh, you know, a feel thing, you know, hot, try and try and do something with the ball, try and manipulate the ball to do this, do this, uh, to try and just kind of get yourself back on track, which kind of sounds similar to what you were, uh, you know, your experience with some of these guys, not necessarily the hitting coaches, but you know, Hey, keep going, keep going with it. Whatever makes you feel good. Yeah. And I mean, and that's one of the things that I'm hearing all the time is the swing. The swing. You have to have this swing with this perfect, you know, this perfect trajectory to meet the ball as it's coming down and you're going up. And um, no, no one's ever talked about my swing ever. I went from standing, uh, you know, kind of a normal stance with my hands out front to hitting straight up with a leg kick. And nobody <laughs> said a thing about my swing ever. You know, but now it's the deal. You have to have this swing. You have to drop your elbow. You have to, you know, you guys have seen enough of the crap. I mean, mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what they have to sell now. It's like this swing. I mean, we've seen you guys play golf. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm a pitcher, so I have no athletic talent besides throwing a ball. They're the best friggin' golfers, normally. So, yeah, seriously, <laughs> you, you got the most time. I stay in my I stay in my lane, guys. All right, <laughs> gotta anyway, know yourself. I mean, you guys. I'm sure you, you you guys are probably golf fans. If you like Tiger and watch golf, I'm sure not every golfer uh, has a beautiful swing. Look at Jim Furyk. How can he be a good golfer with that swing? Yeah, really hitchy swing. Hunter Pence be a 300 career hitter with that hack he's got. You know what I mean? So, it's like I mean, now yeah. all of a sudden you have to have this certain type of swing like everybody in the history of the game did and don't, didn't realize that they did or else, you know, you're not going to be good. Well, I guess one of my questions in that, in that line is what do young hitters do who don't naturally have the skills that you do? Because like, so Bobby, for reference, I'm not sure how you know, much you know about us, but I owned a baseball academy for nine years. I sold it um, in August. Bobby still owns an academy, has – what, 20 plus teams yeah um so we're we're heavy in the instruction side of things but like we know that like for for example for me when I was growing up and I'm, I'm 34 I didn't do a pitching lesson until I was 15 my dad took me to a pitching lesson to learn how to throw a curveball because my dad didn't know how to teach me that and I had like four lessons with this guy he became a mentor he was a great guy named Dwayne um, but those are the only lessons I got. And so I was lucky that as a young player, I was like you, I was natural. I could always throw hard. I could always throw well. I just, I, I learned from some great youth coaches, like how to do the windup and all this stuff. But I never, I don't remember it. I'm sure I got good instruction from my coaches, but it wasn't a lessons culture when I was growing up either, even though I'm a lot younger than you are. Um, and looking back on that, if I didn't have those skills naturally, just this good athleticism, good body control, like I can throw, I don't know where I would have ended up. I probably would have just faded out. But now with a lot of us, like we know for me, like I've intervened with a lot of young pitchers lives in like, I gave them more than they would have had if they just tried to figure it out on their own. Like they weren't like you where they could just, you know, no one tells me about my swing, but I can still hit. A lot of these kids like can't hit without, without help because they don't necessarily have a parent or someone or a good coach in their lives. There's more dad coaches than ever. And maybe they don't have the baseball background. Um, but a lot of young players want more than they have. And then their peers are also getting instruction from a younger age and they seem to speed up a little faster. Um, so, I mean, do you recommend that young kids don't get instruction that they just play or, or what do you, where do you fall as far as what young players need to, to develop like their fundamental skills? Uh, no, I, I mean, I know guys are going to get instruction. I know parents are going to bring their kids to get instruction. Um, and I think that's probably like the confusion in this whole deal is I'm not against that at all. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I know some kids want more than others or whatever, but it's, um, you know, it's when we, it's the creation of the, um, the cookie cutter deal where everybody has to do it the same way and PVC pipes and all this kind of stuff that, uh, in my opinion, it's not going to help these kids. Um, and to say this is the way, the way you have to do it nowadays, um, I think it's BS. I mean, trust me, dude. I mean, the first time I ever saw a, you know, a batting cage by my neighborhood, we rode our bikes there every day and put our tokens in the machine. You know, it's how we learned. Mm -hmm. um, nobody was telling us how to do it. We just did it. We practiced nonstop. And we experimented with swings 
but I know that's not the culture anymore. You know, uh, mom and dad want to take uh, their son um, to learn how to do it. And, and I think the sad part is that everybody's trying to turn their kids into big leaders. And it's just, I mean, the, the odds are just not in your favor. And, uh, but I mean, some of my best friends have baseball academies. They have teams, they teach, they have lessons and stuff. Um, but I just don't think that we should cookie cutter stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't think yeah, I could believe what teacher man is teaching. Cause I think he's full of shit. So that, so that's, so I know Rich, um, out of all of us, I know Rich the best. I've, I've been around Rich. So the, the thing with Rich and I don't want to just put it on him, um, because there's tons of guys and I am on Twitter and I, you know, I'm, I'm on the former, I'm on the former pro side so that, you know, I fall into the, you can't same, same thoughts that you have. You can't really cookie cut everybody. The thing with Rich that I found is beneficial for me um, as a hitter. And I wish I had somebody like to, to break down what he, what he said when I was playing was the, some of these drills are strictly for like a feel. Um, so I see the drills and some, and don't get me wrong. I don't agree with a lot of, a lot of the drills that are being done. Some of this, some of the stuff, the PVC pipe, these things that are attached to your body at, at what point is it overkill? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is, but the, the one thing with that, at least I learned from Rich swinging with him was, was a feeling that I never had uh, when I played, but I shouldn't say that I had it when I played, but I couldn't verbalize it. So in, from my, from my point of view, if I, if I would have had somebody that would have said it and it would have clicked with me, I think I would have been more consistent, but it's hard to, it's hard to get on Twitter and see a lot of these guys and, and you've gone back and forth and I, I, I love it on Twitter, uh, the back and forth with everybody. Cause I get into it with a lot of them too. Uh, it's hard to know what some of these drills are, you know, what their purpose is and, and is it, is it beneficial to anybody? And I can just say from my personal experience hitting with, with him and, and a few of these other guys, not necessarily that you've, that you've interacted with that the feeling is good. Like I felt something that I, that I felt when I played, when I was going well, that maybe I couldn't put in a box and take with me. Uh, and I wish I could have, if that makes sense. Yeah. What did you feel? I want to understand this feel because I don't, I mean, I don't really understand this concept of the feel. Now I know, um, I knew what I know when I felt good. You know, when, when you're right. rolling, man, and you think, well, I'm going to get, oh, I only got two hits that day. You just, everything's clicking. It's like the game is easy, and you're just confident. You're not thinking about anything else. Uh, you're not worried about your hands or your stance or anything. It's just the game is easy, and you're rolling. But I don't ever remember any certain feel except supreme confidence, you know, going into the box right. and, and, like, disappointed I only got one hit today, you know, because I'm feeling so good that I should, you know, I should have got two to three hits. Yeah. So the, so I, I agree with you hundred percent like that, that confidence, that, that thought process, that confidence was the ultimate hitting tool that the, the best advice I could give anybody is to be confident and to try and, you know, if you if you don't have it, fake it, you know, kind of psych yourself up. The feeling I had, uh, when I was going well, when I was hitting was that 
whenever I started, you know, I get my leg kick going that I could get my, get my swing off. You know, I wouldn't land early. I wouldn't get out in front. I could get my swing off on any pitch. So I was always timing a fastball, but I would always feel like I was good on an off speed pitch. I wouldn't come down early with my weight coming forward. So the feel that, that something that Rich said to me that when I was swinging and I was granted past my playing time, I was 30 years old when I met him. Um, I'm 33 now. So I stopped playing when I was 27. The feeling I had was the ability to start and then decide when I was going to go instead of just starting. And hopefully I started on time. So I was on time for the pitch, if that makes sense. Yeah. But how did, how did he help you with that? So the way the, the one thing he said that, that triggered that was, was he used the word hover off the ground. Um, so when you start your leg kick, he said, if you, if you hover off the ground, you know, kind of ride out instead of just foot up, foot down, he goes, you're more, you have more, you're more adjustable to different speeds. Um, and you know, whether or not that makes sense to anybody else, if you use the word hover or float or whatever off the ground, when he said that it, it triggered in my head, okay, my foot doesn't just come down and I wait. And the question I always ask guys on Twitter, cause I'll, I'll mix it up on hitting Twitter all the time is I always ask, how do you hit a curveball? Cause it seems to be a separating factor for youth guys that I see, you know, the best player at 12 years old that can time up the hardest thrower can't necessarily hit at 13 because a guy will start throwing a curveball and then he's lost. So I always ask, you know, how do you teach someone to hit a curveball? Um, and I'd ask you the same question because I'm curious to your thought is when he mentioned hover, that clicked as that's how you hit multiple pitches and you can kind of feel like you're staying in one swing instead of a foot up, foot down, and then try and restart your swing almost when your foot hits. Yeah, I mean, um, my whole deal with the leg kick was, it was I was trying to get on time with a fastball, right? Right. I mean, you know. Um, and, you know, it was basically I picked my foot up and put it back down in the same exact spot, you know, um, and try not to go forward. And... Um, I wasn't really good at hitting curveballs. I wasn't really good at off speed, but I learned how to uh, battle and stay back when I had two strikes, you know, I would, and I wouldn't change anything about my stance or anything about my leg kick. What I would change was mental. My mental approach was now I'm not just looking for a heater. Now I'm looking for a heater middle away. Even with O2, I'm still looking to heater middle away. And if you throw me an off-speed pitch, because I'm now looking the other way, I'll be able to stay back just enough to adjust to the off-speed pitch. So that two-strike approach is the exact approach that I, I teach kids that I also use. And I heard it from – Dan and I were talking off-air. I heard it from a guy named Milt May, if you know who Milt May is. Um, Absolutely. Played for the San Francisco Giants, a catcher. So Milt May – so he tells a story about having lunch with Ted Williams. Um, and Ted Williams asks, you know, he sits down, he's like, when do you decide you're swinging? And Milt May gives him this whole, you know, oh, when the ball's halfway, you know, home plate, it's going to be a strike. And Ted Williams tells him, that's, you know, that's the worst effing answer I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and Milt May, you know, he's like, what? You know, when do you decide you're swinging? He goes, he goes, the minute that that guy steps on the rubber, I'm swinging. 
so like kind of that, that whole mental, that, that confidence I'm, you know, I'm swinging. Um, but back to your two strike approach. Yeah. It's the, it's a timing approach essentially, right? You're not trying to be early on a fastball. You're, you're staying up the middle the other way. So you keep yourself on time for, for any off speed pitch. And that was the trouble I had. Uh, you know, I, I, I had a little bit of that mindset um, in my head. I don't want to get beat by a fastball or I don't want to miss my fastball instead of having the confidence to, you know, I can hit any pitch, you know, let me get a good one. It was, it was almost the opposite. I'm only going to get one good pitch. And if I miss it, it was like, I fell off of my, you know, my confidence with my confidence, but that let me jump. strike approach makes a lot of sense to me. Cause that's what I used. Yeah. Right. And, um, I mean, we all go through ups and downs, you know, when, when you're feeling good and, you, you know, you're like, you know, I'm facing Roger Clemens today and I know I'm feeling good. My hands are quick. I can hit his fastball. And you also have those days where dude's throwing 88 and you're like, man, this bat feels heavy. You know, my hands feel slow. Yeah. You know, I don't, I'm going to have to cheat to catch up to this. So it's kind of like ebbs and flows during the season, you know. But for me, I mean, I was just always a fastball hitter. Okay, I knew that at my size and my stature, dudes were going to challenge me. You know, I'm not a power guy. They're not going to goof around with me until I turn on their fastball one time, and then they might start mixing in some other stuff. But, but for the most part, yeah. they're coming after me because they don't think I'm going to do damage. You know, I'm not going to hit a home run. I might hit a double, whatever. But I, my job was to get on base. So I had to be a good fastball hitter to, to even stay in the league. So, Jeff, one of the things I've seen – well, I have two questions kind of here. So, number one, like with you and Kevin Euclid, Glennon Rush, uh, Matt Miller, some of these other big league guys have been more active on Twitter. And typically, like it doesn't matter who you are, it's kind of like known that if you tweet a celebrity, whether an athlete or a movie star whatever, you're not really going to get a response. But it seems like a lot of you guys are stirring more and like kind of want to offer your insights into the community, which is good because – I think there's a lot of young players who would love to tweet at someone like you or Kevin Euclid or whoever, and like actually get some, like some feedback back on the stuff you have to share. So number one, is that, is that actually a thing that's like happening? Like, are you available? Are some of these guys actually trying to interact with plebeians like, like myself or other, like, you know, instructors or or players, but then also you guys have been talking, I know Kevin Euclid says I've followed some of his um, Twitter conversations a lot of what seems to be coming up is you guys are saying there's more to hitting than just a swing. Like there's way more to hitting than just a swing. So how do you, how do you propose to teach a lot of that stuff on the web? Because there clearly is a ton more, like what we're talking about right now, there's a ton more to hitting than just a swing. Like everyone knows that people seem to forget it today, but most of the guys who have some savvy know that. How do you propose that we teach more of the stuff that's intangible that is important? That's a, Good question. I mean, th- I mean, this whole deal, uh, I mean, the reason you guys are talking to me today, let's be honest, is because of all this. Yeah, you, you got know, some all, firepower, Jeff. <laughs> all the, uh, you know, the, the people I've offended on Twitter are pissed off. And, but, I mean, it's tenfold my supporters, I can tell you that. The people that uh, um, not necessarily played, and that's, that's kind of like the misunderstanding is like, I never said you had to be a big leaguer to be a good coach. Two of the best coaches I ever had were Rudy Hadamio as a hitting coach and Perry Hill as an infield coach. Neither one of them played. 
I mean, I think Rudy played a year or two of minor league ball, and Perry never did. He was a great college player. And they were great coaches. Um, so I've never said that you have to be this, uh, you know, former professional, former big leaguer to be a good coach. Just don't diminish what the guys did. And that's where – that's how we got in this situation to begin with. When, yeah, people don't want to listen to you, it sounds like. No, it's just, you know – I mean, the guy who never played even a minute of professional baseball is telling the 10-year big leaguer that he sucked. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't say that to my face or he'd get knocked out. You know what I mean? You guys know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? right? You yeah. I mean, and, and when I came up, you respected those dudes. Like, I wouldn't talk to a guy who'd been in the big leagues for 10 years when I was a rookie. I wasn't allowed to. I just sat in my locker and kind of, you know, respectfully uh, – listened and learned to what was going on and you know paid my dues to get there and now i'm there and now i keep my mouth shut otherwise these guys are going to put me in my place and that's kind of the you know the 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 order of respect that i learned when i came up i mean i came up and there's nolan ryan with 25 years in the big leagues in my first game i mean you know i just kind of like walked around him and looked at him out of the corner of my eye it was like so in awe of this man you know that I mean, yeah, yeah. imitating him since I was twelve, and now he was probably an alien. We were talking you know, about conspiracy like, theories. Yeah, I mean, but I, when I came up, it was like Nolan Ryan, Brian Downing, um, uh, Tom Hankey was on our team, Ruben Sierra, Juan Gonzalez, Julio Franco, Palmero, Pudge, Dean Palmer. I mean, these are the dudes that I came up. You know, so a yeah. lot of these guys were kind of like heroes to me before I even got there. And now I'm playing with them, you know, so I didn't say, I didn't say anything to those guys, but as far as the hitting, um, I mean, I know there's, there's not one way to hit. I just don't think we, the whole swing thing boggles to my mind. Yeah. yeah and I, I see that too. I mean, we both do. I'm like, like I was a pitcher. I played six years of indie ball. I had two elbow surgeries. Like I, I struggled to, you know, similar to either you guys story. Like I struggled to be as good as I could be um, in different ways. For me, it was a lot of injuries and just being a late bloomer. But looking at some of the swings I see on the internet, I'm like, I've never seen a, a pro hitter swing that way. Like, I, like that swing, like I don't see that exists. And Alex Bregman, who I'm not, not a, a fan of, especially in light of all the, the cheating scandals, but he commented on a, a hitting guy's post the same way like a year ago. He was like, that swing doesn't play. He's like, that swing doesn't exist. And so there's definitely that. I mean, like to your point, there's definitely a lot of out there. And then it does frustrate me. I know it frustrates Bobby. Um, I guess my bigger question is how does the community come together? Because, I mean, you said you've got a lot of supporters on your side, but do you feel like attacking these hitters is actually doing anything valuable for the, for the industry? I mean, is that going to – if someone came up to you and you're still playing and said that one of your revered coaches – because a lot of these guys have kids that they do care about um, – and someone says, hey, hey, Jeff, like you're a hitting coach. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a joke. Like you're, you can't be doing that. And you really like buy into what he's saying. What are you going to do? You're probably going to give that guy the finger. Like, do you think, do you think like your tactics right now are going to improve the community in the long run? I do. I do in the long run because I think this, this swing that we're teaching is not going to play. And so many people are now following in line and te teaching this, this snap, this, I don't know what it is, but I mean, there's enough guys that have played at a high level that see this, that say there's no way this is going to work. And I just don't, 
I just don't see how this drop in your hands and this snap technique is going to work. I mean, it's not like, where's the evidence that it worked? Yeah. The, the evidence? Yeah. With, with rich, I think, uh, I think snap is more of a, you know, a lot of these guys have their buzzwords or the, you know, they're, you try and not like a trademark, but, uh, you know, that's like his thing. And there's other guys that I, that you guys, have, that's I'm, all sorry? I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, uh, but snap it. That's his deal. If you look at his, his, uh, logo or whatever, it says Richard shrank, snap it. Whatever. I mean, yeah, that's like a, that's like a, a cue, I guess you would say, you know, right. Like, like whip the bat, snap the bat around the, around your forearm. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, his, his, uh, like overall teaching philosophy. I think it's more of like, uh, you know, you're quick into the zone and you're, you can wait a little bit longer to swing. Um, his big guy is, is Aaron judge. Like he's worked with Aaron judge. Um, you know, Aaron judge struggled into the, struggled when he got to the big leagues, went to rich, uh, had a really breakout season. I think he was uh, number two in MVP voting. Um, so I think the overall, with a lot of these, you know, and before you got onto the Twitter scene, essentially, you know, where, where you're at now is I, I was, I want I wasn't on the level that you were at, but I was going after a lot of these guys and saying like, look, you, you can't speak in absolutes. Like, like you said, there's no one way to hit. So stop preaching that this is the way to hit. And, you know, this is the way your body, you know, the, the body movement guys, you know, irk me a lot more than the guys that are just trying to teach you know, kids to be better at hitting these body movement guys are saying, you know, if your body moves this way, then you're going to be a good hitter when I don't see any evidence of that whatsoever. I feel like as a, as an athlete, like my body moves pretty well. And then you get to the level that, that you got to, you know, these guys move well, they're not, they're not stuck in, you know, in body casts. Like it's not necessarily, it's, it's hitting, you know, there's a, there's swinging and hitting and what, what are you teaching a kid? And what, what is the message you're conveying? And, and I always argue that, you know, let the kid be good at hitting, like let him get hits before you say that his swing sucks and that he needs to totally change his swing. You know, I think it works that way first. You got to be good at, at the task. And then if there's an adjustment that needs to be made, or if he gets older and he needs some more, you know, what you would consider a mechanical refinement, fine. Then we, then you teach him a little bit, but there's, I think it's the, I saw somebody on Twitter and I, you know, I don't want to mention any names, but, you know, challenge, you know, to a hitting debate. And a lot of these hitting guys that never played, I don't think realize it doesn't matter as a former player. It doesn't matter to me what a guy knows that never played. I'm always going to take the advice and I'm always going to listen and respect a little bit more the guy that played. And if that, if that hurts some people's feelings, tough, you know, if Alex Rodriguez, I've heard him talk on MLB network and, you know, unbelievable hitter, obviously like everybody knows that Alex Rodriguez's career was, you know, whatever, whatever you PD, not PD, doesn't matter. This guy could hit and he was a great baseball player. If he's in a room talking, hitting, he is the most knowledgeable hitting guy in the room. And I don't care who, you know, the best hitting coach in the world has taught. There's a lot of big, big hitting coaches his what he's saying carries just a little bit more weight regardless of who's in the room and because of a success and I need to hear his experience and I want to hear it and I think some of these guys on Twitter just you know whether some of them 
some of them acknowledge that. Some of them acknowledge that the guys with experience you have to listen to, you know, the Jeff Fries of the world, like your opinion carries weight, regardless of what, what the topic is. If it's baseball, your opinion carries weight. And I think some of these guys need to, they need to acknowledge that instead of challenging you, challenging you to a debate about hitting and we'll, you know, we'll let everybody else decide who wins because I don't think there's a person in the world that's going to watch that. That's going to decide that the guy who never played in the big leagues is going to win the hitting debate over a guy who played in the big leagues. It's just, he doesn't have the tools in his toolbox. He doesn't have the arguments. Well, but Jeff, I, what do you, what, Jeff, I, what do you I think mean, of I the trend? Or go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. Say, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh no. I, I was just piggybacking what Bobby said. What do you think about the trend of like the minor major leagues now have more and more coaches that, don't have, I'm sure, the player resumes of coaches when you were still playing. How do you feel about that that trend? Uh, I think it's hurting the, the game. I mean, I talked to uh, actually a AAA manager the other day, uh, direct messaged me, guy I played with. It's like, I can't speak out on these guys. A lot of these guys that are being hired as coaches, he goes, but uh, as soon as we hire them, they're exposed really quickly. He goes, um, it's uh, all this mechanical stuff that a lot of the guys don't even want to listen to these guys, but they feel like they have to. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's another one of the, the, the big reasons I'm even speaking out about this stuff is because there's so many guys that have spent their entire lifetimes in the game that now don't have jobs because guys who never played, um, have have uh, you know perfected this this certain swing or this PVC pipe drills to to make your body in the right position and now this guy has a job and you know Joe Blow with forty years in professional baseball now is out on the streets because this guy has figured out the secret and I think that's BS you know I mean it's these guys. Uh, a lot of these guys that are older guys that have been in the game their whole life, there's not a whole lot of other options for them in the world. You know what I mean? They're in their late 50s, early 60s. They've been a coach for 30 years in the minor leagues, and now they're out on the streets without much of a retirement because this new guy from driveline can teach you guys how to throw harder. You know what I mean? And that, I mean, that, I think that's crap. I think that's what's – messed up in the game right now is that so many people without, you know, practical knowledge of what it takes between the lines and having been there are coaching and teaching young kids when guys who have experience and, and in years and years and years on the baseball field are out on the street. And that's part of the problem, I believe. Yeah. And that's, you know, there, there is some, there is a world where, these guys that have the, the knowledge of the body can be in the game and can help. And there's, I'm not, not going to sit here and say some of these guys don't help. Some of these guys do help. Some of these guys have, have good stuff that's going to help a player, you know, along their path. And there's going to be guys that work with some of these guys who never played that are going to credit their, you know, some of their success to them. But to the disregard for experience and the, you know, that we always say hitting is the toughest thing to do in all sports. So, to have a guy, if I were, you know, as a minor leaguer playing, I always had former players as coaches. 
um, it, at some, in some always. aspect, <laughs> always, always. And when I, you know, you're facing the guy in the minor, you know, Craig Kimbrell is coming in the ninth and I'm sitting there in the hole and I'm know I'm going to get in at bat and I'm sitting next to the, the hitting coach or the, the assistant and I'm talking to him like, what do, what do you think? If he's never seen 98, I, 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 I don't know what to, like, what am I going to do? What can I listen to it? I don't need, I don't want to hear the mechanics at that point. And, yeah. it, good and I think, yeah. And it's, and the issue with some of these guys and that, you know, sorry if I'm raising my voice because it's, it's frustrating. Bobby, settle down, man. They don't, acknowledge, they don't acknowledge that, though. It's like it's okay that you don't have the experience. We're not – the only reason you're getting attacked for not having the experience is because you're attacking the guys who are using their experience as, as more of a teaching tool. And it's okay to not have experience. It's okay to not have played professional baseball or even college baseball. Like, it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean you don't know anything about baseball. But that doesn't give you, you know, you took a certification or you, or you're, you know, you train kids in some whatever, what PVC or weighted balls or whatever. That doesn't make you an authority on whatever discipline you're teaching. Like at some point, you need to blend what you know. You can know everything about the body with some experience because that experience matters. And 98 in the box and how your body reacts to that cannot be explained by, in my opinion, someone who's never seen it. You don't know what your, how your body's going to react. You don't know how you're going to tense up just a little bit more. You don't know when you need to you know, precisely start because the ball's got extra life on it at the end. And this guy's, you know, this is a second and third. We're down one, one out. Like, you got to get that guy in from third. And you, so give me some advice. I need it. Like, I need something. And you just, you, you don't, you don't know unless you've been there and it's, well, Jeff, it's okay. What, Jeff, what, what do big league pitching coaches tell pitchers in games in that level? Like what do big league hitting coaches tell you when you're struggling? What do big league hitting coaches or managers tell you? Like what is the role of a big league pitching coach, hitting coach manager in keeping major leaguers on track? What do they do for you guys? I mean, honestly, it's, it's all about confidence. I mean, it sounds pretty stupid that that's really what it is, but it's not really mechanical. Um, did that change at all during your – I mean, you had a long career. Did, the, did you see any change to that over your, your no, 15 I mean, years in pro ball? It's pretty consistent. Yeah, and um, I mean, there's different different personalities too, you know. I mean, Rudy Jaramillo is, you know, a fiery hitting coach that's going to get in your face when, you know, he feels like you're you're not confident or you're not challenging yourself and, you know, Jim Rice isn't going to say anything unless you go up and ask him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And Clint Hurdle was, was another hitting coach, you know, who was all about confidence and being ready. And um, it's just once you get to that level, there's really no talk about um, mechanics unless, unless you have a flaw, unless you're in a slump and you go up to the, to the hitting coach and say, dude, when, like I did this with Jim Rice. I'm like, Rice, what am I doing? I mean, freaking keep popping up. He's like, you know, all right, let's go to the cage tomorrow. We go to the cage. I'm dropping my hands or whatever. And I had pretty simple keys for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was trying to hit the line drive and the ground ball. If I'm hitting fly balls and pop-ups, it's because I'm dropping my hands. Okay? Yeah. And that was simple for me. I mean, it really wasn't that complicated for me. It was more of, uh, you know, am I confident that I can get on top of this ball and hit a line drive, hit a fastball, 
Um, but the but the coaches didn't really come in ever and say mechanical stuff or teach us mechanical stuff. And you know, and one of the things I want to talk, Robert, I want to talk, or Bobby, is that one of the things that uh, you mentioned as far as seeing '98. Okay, I agree. You don't have to be. You don't have to have been in that position to be a good coach, but don't diminish the guys that were there that know, yeah. you know, it's like, we've been on this, you know, we've been here and we've experienced something that you will never be able to experience. So don't say it's not valuable. Okay. And, um, one of the things about the seeing the 98 or the 97 is nobody talks about the fear element. Okay. Yes. I've gone up to the home plate terrified because Matt Anderson or Rob Dibble was throwing a hundred with no command <laughs> on a rainy day. Okay. Yeah. I stood in the batter's box in Chicago facing Rob Dibble after he threw two pitches behind Dean Palmer's back at a hundred. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, for seven that day with an error to lose the first game. And I like, I mean, I don't even really want to be in the game or in the batter's box, but now I'm facing this crazy dude. Right. Who throws a hundred who has no control. Who's trying to get his career back in line. And I'm like, barely even in the batter's box. I'm like as far back, as far <laughs> yeah. away from the whole plate as I can be, terrified. I'm basically trying to survive this at bat. I don't care if I make contact, strike out, whatever. Okay? But people who haven't been in that situation, okay, they don't know the fear that you have. There's a little bit of fear every time you step in the box. It's a little yes. bit of fear because this dude throws 92 and he just freaking put one in this guy's ear hole two batters ago, and now I'm in there, okay? It's not the same as hitting off a tee or soft toss or, you know, the guy who throws 70 BP, of, you know, right down the middle every time. And nobody ever talks about that. So let's not – I can't stand it when people diminish what we did because it's all about mechanics and this. Anybody can do that. Look at, look at his swing on video. I mean, all I have to do is imitate that, and I could be a good hitter. That's crap. Yeah, the fear is uh, – I can remember, and I feel like the minor leagues, you have a little bit more fear because half the stadiums can't see the ball coming yeah. out of the backdrop. Uh, I can remember being in Kinston, uh, a Carolina league for the Indians, and the backdrop was essentially the blue, the, the light blue sky, and they bring in their closer who's, you know, who walks, two guys, walks and hits two guys per inning, and he throws a, he throws 101. I can, and he's six seven, so he's throwing straight out of the. I can remember the first pitch he threw me skinned my shins, and I didn't see it. And it's just the most uncomfortable at bat you've ever had. And did, people don't understand it. It's if hitting was just timing up a straight fastball, it it wouldn't be the hardest thing in sports. I could do it right now. You could do it right now. Well, if, if you're the Astros, that is what it is actually. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But it's to to know what's yeah like Dan said if you know what's coming you're gonna be you're gonna hit it's it's the unknown it's not knowing what's coming it's having to be reactive to everything and 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 being in control of your body when as a hitter you're really not in control of anything else you're not in control of the ball you're not in control of the strike zone essentially like if that guy behind the behind the dish wants to screw you you're, you're screwed you know if he if he's got six inches off the plate and that's what he tells you the edges. That's the edge, even if you're right. You're in control of so little. And then put it on top of that, you've got, you've got the Rob Dibbles of the world who are slightly off the rocker that 
maybe they will put put one in your back because you you know you took too long to get in the box. Yeah, I mean, speaking of off your rocker, I faced John Rocker when he was throwing a hundred. I'm not that guy. You know, I, right I met him as a kid. Day to day and blasted, you know, every ethnicity on the planet except white people. And uh, yeah, we faced that guy throwing a hundred and wild. And I mean, I faced a lot of guys. Jimmy Williams when I was with the Red Sox. Uh, I, I remember this one at bat in particular because we were in Detroit and I think it was like a close game late in the game and they bring in a guy named Matt Anderson. I don't know if you all remember Matt Anderson. I remember that. Right, right-handed pitcher. He didn't really have much of a, a very long career, but he threw like 100, right, with no command. And the only reason he was in the big leagues is because he was a first-rounder and he threw really hard. So leadoff double. Now I'm hitting – I'm up – um, and Jimmy tells me to bunt off this dude. And I'm like, <laughs> Jimmy? Like, I'm like, go on. Uh, you know, barely even like sticking the bat out like this and like fouled one off and uh, ended up getting two strikes and hitting the ground ball to the right side to move him over anyway. And he come back to the dugout and Jimmy's like, huh, I probably shouldn't have had you bunt, Frito. Probably should just let you hit. I was like, that's kind of what I was thinking, Jimmy, but uh, it's all right now. But I was scared. I mean, a guy who throws 100 with no command, and I'm trying to lay down a sacrifice bun off this dude? Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, not, it's not comfortable. And he doesn't no, know where it's no. going. And you're all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're showing him your full chest and your face, you know, instead of just kind of being turned and he can see the side of your body. You're giving him like a full-on target to, to really light you up. Yeah, I mean, I'd much rather bunt. I was always better bunting for a hit anyway. I would get more... I always felt like I could uh, – it was like an added incentive to get it down because if I get a – you know, if I do a drag bunt with a runner on second, no outs, um, first off, I'm getting the guy over to third, okay? The worst-case scenario is I get out and I'm a sac- I have a sacrifice. But the best-case scenario is now we got a runner at first and third and I got a, I got a single on a bunt. Yeah, it's a now great – Now we got win. Right. I mean, so I practiced that a lot. So I was probably better at that type of bunting than just out in front, you know, sacrificial lamb. There I am, um, you know, without, you know, any defense. If this dude throws it right at my chest, there's no way I can get out of the way. I didn't yeah. like that. Yeah. Bunting is interesting because it's it, back to the hit, Twitter hitting, uh, you know, crowd. It's no bunting. You know, bunting doesn't statistically, bunting's a bad play and bunting's a, you know, it's not advantageous to just give up outs. And I take the opposite approach. I mean, I teach all, you know, I work with a lot of kids, you know, college and under, and they always, I always make them bunt. And it's not because I want these kids giving up outs or bunting. It's a, it's a confidence and it's a mentality to step in there and bunt, like to get your nose in the, over the plate and really lay one down just to, it, like you said, confidence. We always talk confidence. Well, if I'm, talking to a 10 year old kid who's scared to death to bunt off of me throwing BP, that kid's not, he's not going, he's not going far. If he's too scared to just lay down a bunt. I mean, you really have to get, it's almost like you got to scare the fear out of them. Um, you know, force, force them to have confidence when they're just when they're younger. I'm mean, talking about younger guys. I mean, pro guys, they might be shitty at bunting, but I don't know if they're necessarily scared to put their face in there. Now, if it's a hundred, I'm, I'm shaking a little bit, but, you know, off the batting practice and stuff, guys are laid down or two bunts at the beginning of their round and go through their 
their progression. But I think it's a, like you said, bunting is a, you know, it takes confidence to, to square up and bunt, uh, you know, whether a guy's throwing 70 or, you know, 97. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the things about the game, too, that, you know, that's, like, not important anymore, apparently. You know, I, I saw Ron Renneke with the Red Sox said that they weren't even going to practice bunting in spring training. And I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, I mean, that's like one of the basic fundamentals of baseball that has been there for 150 years. And now it's not important anymore. It's not important enough to practice that, you know, okay. If you're in game seven of the world series with a runner on second, no outs, and you got a weak hitter up. That, that dude needs to practice running in spring training. Because right. now you can expect him to, um, execute this play but you never practiced it before you know and it doesn't take much time it takes two extra pitches every round of bp the first two bunt to first bunt to second i mean bunt to the first base side bunt to third base side i mean you guys did it i'm sure you know growing up everybody before you can swing you have to get two bunts down right always now why is it not important anymore can you guys explain that to me well, I mean, I, I can. So, I mean, the big thing is uh, in run expectancy versus win expectancy. So with win expectancy, like that's just, you know, the probability that you win the game as the game wears on. Um, bunting a guy to third, like say you like it's a tie game in the ninth and you've run it on second and, and no one out. Bunting him to third incre- does increase your win expectancy. So bunting, like in that situation, like you just explained, that makes sense. Um, bunting earlier in the game, Basically, the run expectancy tables just say like how many runs on average are scored in a given out and base state. So, and the, basically, the, they said a runner on first with one out, you score more runs on average in that situation than a runner on second with two outs. So they said the data is pretty clear. If we're bunting this guy to second with one out, or or bunting him to second with one with no one out, with and you know and he now has one out, it basically decreases. And this is on a huge pile of major league data. So. Typically, whether it's first and second, you bump to second and third, you actually score fewer runs with second and third and one out than you do with first and second and no one out. So they say basically swinging away makes makes more sense. Now, obviously, the lower levels like college, high school, youth, the outcomes of a bunt are less certain, right? Like in the big leagues, someone puts down a sack bunt, the outcome is pretty certain, right? Like they're out. Um, so, I mean, in, in that light, that's essentially how everyone's viewing it. Like we know if we have first and second, no one out, we're playing for an inning that's going to be two plus runs on average. If we swing away, if we bunt him to second and third, we're now playing for an inning that's going to give us 1.6 runs on average. So that's, that's typically why that's changed. So, okay. and that's where it's, it's hard because I know, I mean, how do you feel about that, Jeff? Well, I mean, I think it all matters on what, where you are in the lineup. I mean, you know, that's true. First, that's true. For sure. You guys get on and, and you know, the seven, eight hole hitters get on and you know, you're not going to bunt with your nine-hole hitter. Um, there's a reason he's a nine-hole hitter. Okay, you're not going to bunt second to third with the top of the lineup. That's asinine, if you ask me. Now, yeah. if it's the first two guys that you know, the, the lead-off hitter and the two-hole hitter get on, of course you're not going to bunt with your three-hole guy, right? There's yeah. a reason he's a three-hole guy. So I think it's just I think a lot of these stats are over a broad spectrum. This mm-hmm. is overall how it works, but every situation is different in the game. Yeah, so let's not say because uh, uh, it's, it's almost like the football deal, you know, uh, when do you go for two, right? I think they have like some kind of little hard or whatever they came up with that 
you know, that this scenario, if you're down by seven in the third quarter, if you're down by this, you know what I mean? So it's like, we're going to stick to this scorecard or this, this formula, no matter what the situation of the game is, no, every single time, if we're down by this in this scenario, we're going to go for two. And I think that's stupid. I, I, you know, every situation is different. You should have some common sense, and that's why you have respected and knowledgeable baseball people to guide you. When this situation is – in this situation of the game, this man has been here for 30 years doing this. He knows what to do, not some – intern behind the dugout on his computer going okay right now we're supposed to bunt uh doesn't matter who's up Altuve or Correa we have to bunt you know what I mean yeah well the you know the the thing too that nobody talks about with that is the is the is the feel for the player you know if if this I'm up I'm terrified of 98 (laughs) if this guy's one for his last 20 let let him let him do something positive like that's a confidence booster to help the team for sure that's a that's a you know, it's the same thing if, you know, the things that we don't know as spectators in baseball is, you know, oh, why didn't we put this guy in the, in the game? Or why don't we bring in this bullpen guy? Well, how do you know that guy didn't, you know, doesn't have shit going on at his house and he's, you know, he had to show up late and he had, you know, he's got like he's stressed out. What's you know, that? His wife just saw him texting some other chick and he brought <laughs> right. that to yeah. today. And now that's why he's not pitching in his normal role. But they don't know that because – all they know is that he normally pitches in the eighth inning. Well, they, they, well no, they, it's, they're not yeah. robots. Like Dan used to yeah. talk about all the time. Like, like big leaguers aren't robots. Like these guys go through the, the ebbs and flows of the season. You know, the guys have, guys have lives, you know, it's a long season. And you know, I only speak from minor league experience and I've never played in the big leagues, but I played with guys that played in the big leagues and it's, I, I know it's not easy. I know these guys go through ruts and you lose your confidence, you know, at certain points of the season. Um, and it's, you do, you can't measure that with a stat sheet or with a, you know, from behind a computer, you really need, you need to be in the locker room. You need to know what's, you know, you need to be around the guys. There's a, there's a reason that baseball has is such a routine game. And there's a reason that it, it's, it's a very difficult game to be successful at long-term. And it's, you know, the best managers, I'm sure you played for some unbelievable managers these guys can navigate some of that stuff that you can't quantify on a, you know, on a, I guess, a stat sheet. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a funny story. So when I was with the Red Sox, um, we were in Toronto and uh, we're facing a guy named uh, Frank Castillo. who's a right-handed pitcher, uh, kind of a sinker slider guy, you know, not overpowering stuff. But for whatever reason, he's uh, been very successful against right-handed hitters this, you know, within the first two months of the season, say. So a bunch of us right-handed hitters figured we weren't playing that day. We were going to get the day off. And Toronto has some really – Canada has some really great golf courses, so we're going to go play golf, okay? <laughs> so we're going to leave the hotel at 8. We're going to play golf. We'll be done by 1, have a chance to take a nap before we go to the field, whatever. And – uh so we all go play golf, like four of us, and then we go play this beautiful golf course uh, um, and show up at the field and we look and we're all in the lineup. <laughs> you know, not like we're exhausted, but we didn't expect to be in the lineup, you know. We right. could just take an extra greenie and get after him, you know. One more Red Bull. And uh, Jimmy Williams calls us all in his office. And uh, Jimmy was, I mean, the 
probably the most knowledgeable baseball man I was ever met in my life. He just, he just had it. And, uh, but he was kind of quirky and some of the things he said were kind of quirky and funny. And, um, so he calls us in his office, I think six or seven of his right-handed hitters. And he goes, guys, he goes, right-handers are hitting 189 against this guy today. So I figured, what the hell? Let's put a whole line, all lineup uh, filled with right-handed hitters and get after him. And we were like, all right, Jimmy. You know, what are we going to say? We're all in the lineup. And, like, we go out and get 12 hits and win the game. You know? But that, that doesn't happen today. It's counterintuitive for sure, yeah. Like, because everyone would be like, what are you guys doing? That's not what it, it says. It's not yeah. making the lineup. It's being right. passed down, you know, from the GM to the, the analytical staff that's going to look at the stats first and then meet with the GM and talk about the lineup. And then that's going to be passed down to the manager who I can't even imagine how humiliating that is as a ma- major league manager. Most of these dudes played, almost every one of them played. Um, being told who has to bat where in your lineup. And, you're, and at the end of the game, when you lose, you're the one who lost the game because you're the manager. We win, the team did it. You know, the manager always yeah. gets the shit. Yeah. He always gets blamed. But now he don't even get to pick who plays. And, but he yeah. gets to stand in front of the podium and answer the question. After we lost. You know, yeah, and take it for the team. I mean, can you imagine? No, I, would, I would not like to be in that position. I mean, granted, they get four or five million bucks a year. You know, so it's not you, terrible. I guess you that makes it easier. Some, you can handle some form of uh, ridicule. But, uh, I mean, if I want my team to go out and I want to lead my team and coach my team, and if we lose, hey, man, we lost. I'll take the, I'll take the heat. But not because yeah. you made me bat these three guys who – the stat sheet says or should be playing today. So Jeff, you're a player agent and you advise a lot of players who are up and coming. Um, obviously being like an older school guy and knowing that there's this mold that, you know, major league teams want your players that you represent to fit into. How do you find the balance of, of advising your guys on, on what they should do? Because I think you're a really good example. Like you knew yourself, you weren't trying to drop your backside and, and hit bombs. Like, you were a Dustin Pedroia, you know, Dustin Pedroia was a player like you. I shouldn't compare you to today's players, but you know, these smaller scrappy guys that can get on base, hit line drives, hit the occasional double. Um, you were really good at maximizing what you were with some of these up and coming guys. Do you feel, do you see them struggling like with that, like trying to be something that they're not because they want to fit into this big league mold? Like how do you counsel them? Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to uh, accept what they are. I mean, I don't, um, you know, we're all, we've all been guilty of trying to do too much. You know, we've heard many times just, you know, stay within yourself, don't do too much. And then you're going to, you know, you're going to reach your maximum efficiency or maximum level. So, you know, I don't really counsel them on what to do and what not to do. It's basically what they are. And I have to, you know, represent them the best way I can. Yeah. How much, uh, you know, how much, conversation do you have with like the team you know if you're if you got a guy with the with the rangers or with any team how much conversation do you have with the with the front office or development guys on on what they want out of your guys and you know and what can you can relate to those players i know when i was playing you know the the best thing about having an agent and having a having that guy that you could call was he could make phone calls on your behalf um and kind of stump for you when you, you couldn't stump for yourself essentially. So how much conversation do you have with some of those 
some of those development guys and what they want, you know, out of your player that you're representing? Um, well, it's different, different with every player. I mean, and I would rather not talk to anybody in player development, honestly, because I know when those guys get phone calls from agents, um, about their guy, they're not happy to take those phone calls. They don't want to talk to you. You're not, you don't work for this team. Okay. This is our employee. We're going to, you know, basically instruct him and coach him and mold him into what we want him to be. And just because in the long run, hopefully you're going to make money in, in your eyes off this guy, you think you have a say, you have no say. Okay. Agents, you know, basically, uh, you know, unless you're Scott Boris and you demand a say, you really don't have a say. Okay. Yeah. And the, the player development people don't want to talk to agents. I can tell you hundred percent of the time. Okay. Cause I was, a, when I was a player, young players came in. Uh, I, I never forget this young player came in. I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but he was the first round draft pick. And I was on, um, I was on a rehab assignment. Okay. And I was in uh, playing for the Red Sox. I had to go to uh, Fort Myers for a month on a rehab assignment. And um, me and Scott Hatterberg were there for a month and playing with the um, extended spring team, basically, you know, the Florida state league, not the Florida state league, but extended spring. These guys didn't make a full season, a ball team. Okay. So they're just starting out, not bashing those guys but they're just starting out and a recent like second round draft pick by the Red Sox shows up and now he, we're playing with this guy, right? He's on our team. And, uh, he was a pitcher. And when you're not pitching in those situations, you know, you're either chasing foul balls or you're the bat boy or whatever. Right. Yeah. During that game, the day you're not, yeah. you're not hot, you're not available. So this dude didn't like the fact that he was a bat boy. So he called his agent. Yikes. So his agent Yikes. called the farm director to complain that this second rounder doesn't want to be the bat boy when he's not pitching that day. And we were like, oh, my God, this dude's going to get crushed, right? It's like <laughs> me and Hattie, like, talk, Hattie talked to this guy. He's like, dude, don't ever have your agent call and say you don't want to be the bat boy. Everybody in that dugout is going to dislike you. You know what I mean? And you guys <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too. But as far as, um, you know, I try not to call some guys for more high maintenance than others um, and say, hey, man, I don't like uh, what the strength coach is making me do. He's making me run before the game. And I'm like, man, I don't want to call and tell anybody that. But if you want me to, I will. (laughs) I know that call is not going to be received good and it's not going to be it's not going to benefit you. But, hey, if it makes you feel better for me to call them and say that you don't want to run uh, three extra sprints before the game, I'll do it. Yeah, those are to say t- the guy who had me do that lasted less than a year in the big leagues uh, and was a first-round draft. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, the, those, it feels like I remember being a young guy, you know, newly drafted. You don't, you don't know what you don't know, right? That's a – it's like, hey, hey, you know, you, you're a second rounder or first rounder. You got some money. It's maybe I can call some shots around here. And then you find out real quickly that you just one of the guys in the pecking order. Now your signing yeah. bonus doesn't pl- doesn't play for you. 
Well, and like Jeff said, erring on the side of being a, easy to get along with is probably the way to go. What's that? I'm sorry, I was talking. Maybe. Oh, well, I was just saying, to your point earlier, erring on the side of being humble amongst everyone else is probably the way to go. Keep your mouth shut. Just keep your mouth shut. And, and, you know, nobody likes – I mean, we've all had the teammates that – the chatterboxes that never stop talking. And those dudes were annoying. Nobody wanted to be around those dudes, right? It's like <laughs> the first five minutes, you're like, that dude shut the freaking up, you know, because he's annoying everybody in the locker room, you know. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, just keep your mouth shut and go play. And as, you, yeah. as a rookie, a young guy, that's what you're supposed to do. And then – over time, you stay in the league, you learn, you earn your stripes, then you can speak out. Yeah, that's fair. So, Jeff, as, as we kind of start wrapping up here, how do you feel about how we can kind of unify the Twitter um, community and just the online baseball community in general? Because if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like you're honestly open to some of these ideas if you get context. I mean, I've, I've kind of been listening and trying to, fig- to figure you out, honestly, as we've been going, but it sounds like you're you're open to learning more about some of these things, but ultimately you're going to like, you know what you know, and like, you know what's right and what's not. Like, obviously I expect you to continue to, to out people for teaching the wrong stuff, but is there a way that people can um, find a balance between taking someone like your experience and marrying it with some of the new stuff? I mean, can, can there be a situation where everyone kind of coexists? Yeah, I believe they can. I believe we can. I mean, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's got kind of, it's pretty ugly. I, mean, I, I didn't plan on this whole s- situation turning into this, honestly. I mean, I made a goofy video in my backyard um, mocking a silly looking swing that I saw on, I think on, inst- on uh, YouTube, you know, 12 second. And I did it. And then just like the backlash just came at me. Mm-hmm. and attacked me and if that hadn't happened it w- i wouldn't have made a second video i can tell you that um and i actually t- talked to a guy uh um two days ago Chaz pippet you guys know who that is mm-hmm. yeah i do i know the name so i put some videos baseball rebellion i put some videos out or pictures out of what i saw and it's not like i'm spending hours every day looking on the internet to see who I can make fun of. People are sending me this stuff nonstop, nonstop. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look at this guy. Look at this BS. Look at this crap. Make You're fun the of this general. Guy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So now, I mean, it's kind of like when I played, this is, this is kind of the role I had when I played. It's like, we'd be on the bus and, and we'd be ragging on each other on the bus, right? In the big leagues, Mike Greenwell's in the front of the bus. I'm in the back and Greenwell's talking smack to everybody on the team. And I'm sitting there on the back of the bus with Jose Canseco, uh, Tim Naring, uh, Billy Hasselman, Darren Bragg, all behind me going, hey, Frito, call him this. So I'm like, hey, Greenwell, you're blah, blah, blah. Right? And then it comes back and Greenwell rags on me. And that's kind of what it's become now. People send me stuff. They want me to, to expose, but they don't want to attach their name to it, right? So they yeah. want me, and I'm the dumb guy. It's like, oh, I'll do it. All right, shit, let's put this on here. And now everybody's out to get me, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're the you you're the face now, right? I feel like you got. It's it's. I don't want to say it's not easy to attack you, but it's it, it's you. If if someone feels like they can attack you 
for, you know, and defend what they believe, it would probably carry more weight in their eyes because you're an established big leader. You're like your experience lends that to the, to the argument. You know, if, if someone's arguing with me on Twitter, yeah. It, if you make your point and you think you won a Twitter argument with, with me, great. Like then Bobby would block you. Yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you you're an idiot and I'll, you know, I, I don't lose Twitter arguments like that, but it's that, you know, that's, that's how they, it's a validation type thing. And it's, you know, how do you coexist with, with the guys that are doing these drills? And, and some of them I do agree. There's, there's a lot of guys on Twitter that post some stuff that I agree with. And I think they're good guys and they mean well, and they've never once talked down to experienced guys, you know, whether I have more experience than them or guys with your level of experience. And I respect those guys and I listen to what they have to say. Now there's guys like, you know, I don't know, I don't follow what Chaz does much, but there's guys on, on the East and West coast that I, I wholeheartedly disagree with what they teach on hitting. And I just don't think it plays and they teach this, how the body moves and you got to get to, you know, your kinetic chain and you start it and you do this. It's like, I can't, that's not hitting. Hitting is reactive. Like I need to be able to react to pitches. I can't go and just attack it. If I could, I'd still be playing. If I could just jump at a fastball and time up a hundred, I'd still be playing. And so would a lot of guys. It's, it's the ability to react. So the way to coexist, I don't know if you can coexist because a lot of guys are trying to make a name for themselves. Um, and, and as someone, you know, someone that doesn't feel like they need to justify their, their experience or what they know is just going to, is there's always going to be friction there. And I have friction with a lot of these guys myself and I don't have a big, if I had a big league resume, I got to imagine I would, I would be speaking out and saying a lot more brash things to some of these guys. Um, kind of in similar in the fashion that, that you're doing it now, but it, I think it comes with the understanding from guys that didn't play that experience matters and just it's okay that experience matters. Just accept that it, that it does matter. And what you know might be really, really good. And a lot of guys could use it, but you don't know everything and you need to lend, lend some, you know, some acknowledgement to experience. And, and that's, I mean, that's a great point. And, you know, nobody said, I've never once said that uh, you have to, even have played the game to be a good coach. Okay. A lot of guys uh, can be good coaches that didn't play at a high level. Um, But let's just appreciate the fact that some people played this game for a long time and their opinions carry some weight. Okay. Not necessarily more than yours because you learned how to hit in your basement watching videos. Okay. But when those kind of type of guys attack major leaguers or even guys, I mean, like yourself, guys who played um, at some level of professional baseball as if you don't know anything because we know everything and we figure this out. That's where the problem starts. It's not going to go away. And as far as coexisting, we are coexisting. We are, we just have two sides of the argument and, um, this whole thing I've been doing, this she gone thing, that was just like an accidental thing I said one day when I made a video. About it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of people seem to like it. You know, they like that part of the video. Um, it was just a joke, dude. I was in my backyard goofing off, making fun of a swing, and then a couple people that are followers of Teacher Man just attacked me and degraded my kids and degraded my career and just like. 
the amount of hate. I can't even tell you how bad it was. And I was like, all right, y'all want to challenge me? You know, and then that's kind of inspired me to keep this going to where it is today. And now it's just, I mean, yeah, it gets those competitive juices flowing, huh? I mean, I didn't play in the big leagues because I was the most gifted guy. Okay. I mean, people told me I couldn't do it and that inspired me to do it. I mean, when I was, I don't know if you guys ever heard the story, but when I was in ninth grade, I went out for basketball lived in California. Uh, my basketball coach, Mike Phelps, told me to come back when I grew up. Okay. I was five foot. I was in Oakland, California. I was five foot, a hundred pounds, you know, thinking I can hoop a little bit, you know, and, uh, and he told me to come back when I grew up. So I was like, okay. So in other words, he cut me from the team. Three years later, I moved to Oklahoma. Um, Averaged 23 and a half points a game before the three-point line and went to college on a basketball scholarship. And um, in 1992, uh, my rookie year in the big leagues, we're in Oakland where I went to high school, and I get a game-winning hit off Dennis Eckersley in the ninth inning. Wow. After the game, I went into the locker room, and I searched for a reporter. And I said, hey, I said, I want you to tell Mike Phelps – baseball coach and basketball coach at Bishop O'Dowd High School that Jeff rides back and he's grown up now. <laughs> that's like next that's to to hold that in is and get it out how many years after the fact was this, you know, ten years after the fact? Well I was fourteen and then I was twenty five or six. So it was a long time. But what he you know, by him saying that to me, it inadvertently inspired me to work harder. Yeah, you know, I sure. was a great basketball player. I mean, I, I was, you know, five foot tall, 100 pounds, right? Not much of a basketball future, but four years later, I was averaging 23 and a half points a game without the three-point line at 5'5", five, five, 135, and going to college to play basketball. So he inspired me in the vertical. Yeah, who lights yeah. that fire? Um, you know, the last, last thing I want to I ask you, too, is have you come across anybody on Twitter that you think does do a good job of, like, teaching or I'm mean, you like you said you probably haven't dug into some of these guys a lot um you just see a lot of these drills that people send you and stuff have you come across any guys that you that that are maybe you were you were introduced to on twitter that you know you think okay like this guy's you, he's he's got a little bit of a figured out or he's he's on the right path or he's good you know he it seems like he's he's doing something uh you know that's benefiting more than uh hindering some hitters no and i really haven't paid much attention to that i mean it's like all the stuff people send me is all the goofy stuff. And I know yeah. there's the coaches out there, you know, yeah. I know there are, and it's, it's like, uh, you know, I'm not attacking everybody that gives lessons. Okay. I know everybody's got to make a living. If this is something you want, you love kids, you want to coach, you want to help kids and make a living off it. Good for you, man. I mean, you know, I know there's a lot of ways to, you know, to, people love the game. They want to be around. They want to give lessons. I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. Okay. It's just when, to me, some of the things, um, you know, that we're generalizing, okay, let's cookie cutter this and let's teach this type of deal to young kids. Um, to me, that's, it's like, it's almost like a crime to me to teach a 10 year old kid to swing up, to hit a ball on the top of the cage. 
Yeah, and I agree with that 100%. Unfortunate that not all their parents grew up around baseball that realized this is not the right way, the basic fundamentals of hitting, okay? Just to me, that's really why I'm in this fight is to to help parents um, get their kids, you know, in the right direction because – they don't know any better. It's sad. It's sad that a lot of mom and dads, you know, didn't never grow up playing sports and they don't know what's the best thing for their son. All they're trying to do is help him be the best he can be. And they're paying 80 bucks an hour to some guy who's handing them, you know, a spatula and, and teaching them half swings. And I think it's, you know, I mean, no, it's, yeah. it's hard to navigate for as a parent or, you know, even a, even someone who wants to learn baseball, if you're an adult and you want to learn more about coaching or you, you want to expand and grow as a coach and everyone says grow the game, it's, it's sifting through all the BS is not, is not easy. Yeah, it's more yeah. and more and more and more of it, you know. It's like, I mean, and I guess I never put much thought into the fact that, you know, who would I tell somebody to go talk to or who, you know, because I get asked that a lot. Hey, who's a great hitting coach in your area? I'm like, I don't know any. Yeah. You know, I wish I could tell you this is the guy you should go to. But if I tell everybody that, that guy's going to be overwhelmed and he can't coach (laughs) everybody, you know. It's like, who's the best pitching coach? It's like, I mean, it's basically whatever coach you can relate to who helps you get better, that's a good coach. Okay. I mean, you know, and and you guys know it's confidence. Um, Perry Hill – Never played in the big league. Never played professional baseball. He's the best infield coach I ever had. If it wasn't for Perry Hill, I never would have played in the big leagues. Well, there's a Twitter guy now, Kanoe Correa, who's the equivalent. I mean, it seems like he's a super knowledgeable infield guy. He's, I think, the Giants' first base coach, I think, this year. But he, hasn't, he doesn't have a, a playing resume beyond college. But from all reports, and I've seen a lot of his like infield drills, I mean, he seems just excellent at what he does. But – yeah. And, and my hope is kind of that, like, cause I, you know, there's a bunch of, of your big league buddies that have been um, around and I hope that there's more ex big league sharing the experience side, because for all the guys that haven't played the really high level, they don't have the, here's how to think about approach. Here's how to think about pitch sequencing. Here's how to think about reading a hitter. Like I talk about some of that stuff on my YouTube channel, but I, there's other guys out there that played a lot higher levels and a lot more years than I did it doesn't make me feel threatened. Like I'm going to share what I know, mm-hmm. but I hope there's more big league guys that share what they know. It doesn't have to conflict. Like if you want to talk about approach, like do it. And I hope more, more big league guys start to do. That's why I asked earlier about if people tweet at you or Kevin Euclid or some, your Glenn and rush um, guys that I've seen their names attached to some of your Twitter threads, like, well, they get a response. Like that'd be cool if they do. And I think I would love to see videos from you or Kevin Euclid talking about approach. How do you hit a cutter? Like cutters are these, terrifying things i threw a cutter for a little bit how a hitter figures out how to hit those i have no idea and it's that is going to become solely from experience like yeah and uh i mean i i try to answer all the questions on twitter i get a lot um and i can't answer them all but for the most part i I try to interact with the people i mean you know i feel bad if i say some stuff out there and i'm not going to be there to take the heat if it comes back at me, you know, and I get a lot of messages and stuff, but, uh, I mean, I try to interact. People ask me questions. I can't answer them all, but I'm trying, you know, 
trying, I've gained like 4,000 followers in a month. So it's kind of hard, <laughs> yeah. kind of hard to, uh, to answer every question. You know, people send me, the reason I'm still doing this is because the amount of college coaches, high school coaches that keep sending me messages on a daily basis saying, Jeff, I'm so thankful you're speaking out. We have these guys, these hitting gurus uh, that are ruining young kids. Um, that when I get these kids in high school, they can't hit any of them. Please keep speaking out against these guys. I can't even, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I get five to 10 of those every single day. Yeah, I can, I can, I can attest to that too. And when I, maybe not to the level that you're getting, but anytime I would tweet something out and say, like I tweet at somebody and say, this is wrong. This is, that's not how you hit. You can't do that. I'll get college coaches that I know text me on the side or guys that DM me and that I've never met before. And they're like, please keep going. Like we can't say this, but right. It's nice to see someone that played the game, stick up for guys that are stick up for the actually playing the game and not, you know, the manufactured ball player in the, in the lab. Right. I mean, and it happens a lot. It's a lot of, and I understand these guys can't say, speak out if they're college coaches or yeah. a lot of the guys are minor league coaches or even I've had front office guys that I'm friends with, you know, call me or direct message me and say, Hey man, keep it going. Frito love what you're doing. We just hired a PVC pipe hitting coach in the minor leagues, you know? And it's like, I mean, to me, it's insane. You know, it's like that guy's the PVC guy that's going to teach the, the swing and the body motions is more valuable than the, the guy who played, four years in the big leagues, but has been in pro ball for 15 years and has a lifetime of knowledge and experience in playing. This guy's going to know more than this guy. He might know some different stuff and he might be able to help you, but he, he can't, you, when it, when these guys go full blown, you don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. Yeah. That's what the hell do you know? That's when it's, that's when you have to go on the offensive, you know, and you have, you, you defend, the playing your career, you defend your resume. I mean, that, that it speaks for itself and it's, it, you know, there needs to be some backing off on, on some of that stuff. Uh, though, hold, I, before you go, Jeff, it, not Gaetti. Is this really Gary? Because no, I, I thought it I was, was, I, it's not, I, I didn't think it was. I played it. Gary managed against, uh, when I was in indie ball, he managed against us a few years, but I, I wanted love to, him. <laughs> he was a great he was a great guy he was a great guy as an opposing player he'd bs with you on the field uh, that it's funny that not Gaetti is getting he's getting a lot of run on twitter i know because it, the funny thing is it's like i really wasn't didn't do much on twitter probably six months ago okay and one of my friends says hey man you need to get on twitter and i was like really i don't really want to mess with that crap and i got on it and uh one of the first people i saw was not Gaetti, and i'm like well i played with Gaetti's at the end of his career, and then he was my hitting coach when I was the last two weeks of my season, of my career with uh, New Orleans, New Orleans Zephyrs. He was the hitting coach. And so I loved this dude. You know, I didn't get to spend much time around him, yeah. whatever, but I just thought he was a cool dude, right? And, uh, and so when I saw this on Twitter, this at not Gaetti, I just immediately started communicating with this person like it was Gary Gaetti. <laughs> and probably like two weeks in, I was like, are you a direct message? And I was like, are you who I think you are? And he's like, no, I'm not actually Gaetti. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, dude, 
is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. He's like has so much good, uh, you know, know. He's always putting these these uh, cool stats and stuff about past players and stuff like that, and making some cool videos. I mean, have y'all seen the the videos of the kids? When it when I see a five year old kid hitting a ball and going, she gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the people are people are now. You've got to follow yeah, the red, the red bat, the red bat. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I'm just trying to have fun, and and I know uh, some of it can can be pretty mean and ugly, but at the end of the day, I'm having fun. Well, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I think it was a good chance for people to hear you speak, and um, you know, like for me and Bobby as like minor leaguers, you know, we we appreciate um, some of your insight and your stories. And like I said, I hope the I hope the community continues to to heal itself. And if that means breaking apart for a while so that it kind of comes back together better, like, you know, so be it, but appreciate you coming on the show. I really do. And I apologize for the, uh, the time mess up. I said no, it's my okay. 30 went off and I was like, Oh crap. But anyway, that's my bad, but I appreciate you guys having me on and, um, you know, y'all be safe, man. Yeah. Good to meet you. Thanks Jeff. I appreciate it. And for you out there, thanks for tuning in today. Um, Obviously, catch us next on Wednesday on here on Twitter and YouTube. And obviously, we're on Spotify, iTunes. So subscribe anywhere you are. And uh, and yeah, we'll catch you here next week. Bobby, send us out, my man. Dan, it was it was fun. I'm gonna go celebrate my new haircut uh, in Chicago. See everybody. See everybody Friday live Friday. Yeah, Wednesday we won't be live on Twitter, but I will post the recorded video um, of our podcast with Zach Clark. That's going to be great. So you have it on uh, Spotify and iTunes live as well. So, I mean, right at 9 a.m., the episode will be up so you can listen. You won't miss a beat. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you soon.